Welcome to Politics Welcome Done to Right. Politics. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. We are going to have a great show for you. Good morning, Houston. Buenos dias, mis hermanos. Good morning, my brothers and sisters. How is everybody doing this morning? I trust all is good. I trust all is good. Good morning, El Señor. Tori Mercer, how is everybody doing? How is everybody doing? We are going to have a great show for you today. We are going to have a great show for you today. Anyhow, folks, how uh, what what are your thoughts about what's happening in uh, with the debt ceiling? And by the way, that's not our topic for today. It's just that last night the Senate officially, without you know, without any, without any troubles, with eleven attempted amendments that failed, got the debt ceiling solved. It's something we said was going to happen anyway, right? That's what we said. We know they were playing with us. You know, they were getting us all excited about things not working, but we always knew that something was going to work, and it totally did. You know. But anyhow, folks, the telephone number is 713-526-5738. We have a, a, a fairly long interview that I want to sort of pre preempt, not preempt, but tell you a little bit about first. Uh, there's this uh, a police officer, became professor, and he had written a book about race and policing, etc. So I wanted to talk to him. I spoke to him, wrote an article about him at the Daily Coast. Uh, the people at the university saw it, and um, they weren't too happy with him. And they, you know, anyhow. They put him on notice, etc. Well, it turned out that uh, they held on to him, but things happened again. And he called me up and he said, "You know, um, I think I'm being canceled in uh, for being uh, some, you know, for putting out some conservative ideas, etc." And I said, "You know what? I don't believe in anybody canceling anybody. It's a free country. We should be able to talk." So, did an interview with him. And I want you to listen to that. But before we get started, I want to ask Howard, how are you doing this morning? Mr. Jack Van Bibbers, how are you guys doing this morning in the control room? Oh, good, good morning, Egberto. We had a little patriotic uh, open this morning. That was different. It felt good. You know, I felt like it was back in 1975 when stations didn't necessarily run 24 hours. And just as they're about to start, they played the national, the national anthem. anthem. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So you I saluted my radio, man. Man, I, I felt tell so you, patriotic. I saluted my radio. You saluted <laughs> your radio, sir. That was that 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 was great. And I like. I actually like the the what do you call it again? The version that you played. There's another words for for version when you're talking about music. I can't remember what it is, but I like what you played. That is from the uh, U.S. Army Corps. Oh, I found, I found that in my collection. I went, you know, I got to play this in the morning for Egberto. Did you? Well, we thank you. On his show. Well, thank you, sir, because, you know, we are all patriots here. Actually, Howard, we are the real patriots. Right, Jack? Right, right. <laughs> I caught Jack off. Caught off guard oh, I caught him off guard. Were you drinking coffee or were you eating a donut or something, Jack? <laughs> No, I just sat down from the mic and, and uh, then you then you called me back. Yeah, I'm doing fine as frogs here at Better Toe. Well, mira, senor, we have to go get our breakfast, senor. You know, pretty. I'll talk, pretty. To, you, I'll talk to you after the show on that. 
All right. Pretty, pretty, look, how, how do we go? It goes like pretty pronto, pretty pronto, like very soon, very soon. Pretty andale, pronto. Andale. Andale. Eso, mi, eso, mi amigo. Anyway, folks, title of the show, most of SCUDA supports business over workers. There was an 8-1 decision yesterday that surprised me. Sotomayor voted in favor. Uh, K- Kagan voted in favor. I am lost. Maybe we'll get to that, but even if we don't get to that, just remember that you can go to politicsandright.com slash newsletter to get the full story of whatever we don't get to cover here that was supposed to be covered today. Folks, remember that you can reach us at 90.1 FM Houston. Tune your radius to that channel. You can also download the TuneIn app at Android or Apple stores. Go to kpft.org to listen live. And you can say facebook.com slash kpft houston not to just listen to the program but to also watch the program that's facebook.com slash kpft houston or you can watch it on youtube by going to politicsdoneright.tv politicsdoneright.tv we have a great show in store for you let me go ahead and get that interview started and then we'll come back and when after that interview i want to hear from you guys 713-526-5738 extension numero Dos extension numero dos. Here we go. And I said, here we go a little prematurely. Here we go now. Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right. Today, I'm honored once again to speak to Dr. Will Morovitz. He's an adjunct professor of political science at Texas State University. For three years, he was a police officer for the city of San Marcos, Texas, having graduated top cadet from the basic training academy of the University of Texas at Austin, my alma mater. He holds a Master of Arts in Political Science from Texas State University and a PhD in Public Policy and Administration from Walden University. He is a native of Uvalde, Texas. Senor Moravitz, welcome to Politics Done Right once again. How are you doing today? Very well, sir. Thank you for having me again. Well, absolutely. Um, I think the last time you were on, we were discussing, I don't remember if we were discussing gun controls or or what, but uh, you came from the conservative point of view. And of course, I, I come from a very progressive point of view. But one of the things that we always stressed and, and, and the mutual respect comes from that we believe everyone has a right to their, their opinion, have a right to their speech, and one should not be penalized on either side or on any side. For what they believe in. Uh, you contacted me recently and said, guess what, Egberto? I think we have something to talk about. Cancel has hit me. Tell me your story. Well, if you, when we had our first conversation on, on your show, uh, I was promoting uh, my book that came out last February, the, the Blue Divide, Policing and Race in America. And, that, and we had a lot of discussions about that. And if you remember at the end of our conversation, I mentioned to you that oftentimes I show in my classes when, I, when we talk about this issue, I show the old uh, Chris Rock video, How Not to Get to Ass Beat by Police, from the old Chris Rock show that he had. I don't know how many years ago it's been now. It's been a while. Uh, and I show that because for a couple reasons. He's funny, right? Laughter. I think people people remember things better when they're laughing. Um, and there's, even though it is funny and at the end it gets a little bit comical, uh, for those, you know, that have seen it, you know, I'm talking about where it starts talking about, you know, a mad, angry woman, you know, don't, don't drive with a mad, angry woman because you never know what she'll say when you get pulled over. 
but leading up to that, there's some really good tips, you know, be polite, respectful, hands on the wheel, you know, just, just different things. And I show it to him just in, in a sense for the classroom to kind of laugh, but also to kind of bring down the, um, the level of seriousness, you know, kind of add some, uh, levity to the situation. But I, I do think it's a good video for them to kind of understand. And you wrote about that, I think, in the, was it the Daily Coast? I think right. We're, we're, and somebody in my former employer, St. Phillips College, uh, somebody, some employee, I'm not sure if they were an administration or what, but an employee brought it to the attention of the college that I was showing this video and also that I was calling myself professor uh, with a little p uh, and that I don't have that rank. Um, and I try to explain to them, I, I got called into a meeting with HR and, and uh, one of the vice presidents about your article. And for about a week there, I wasn't sure if they were going to renew my contract because they have to let you know by the end of March. And this was middle of March when this happened uh, last year. And they did. And basically what they told me uh, is make sure you don't put yourself off as a professor. I'm an instructor. So even though I have a PhD and, and I explained to them that Texas State, where I, I work since 2018, everybody gets called professor and in, in common language. Right. There, you don't make that distinction. Uh, you do in rank. Uh, for those who aren't sure, uh, aren't familiar with how the college system works, you have instructor assistant professor, associate professor, and full professor. And that's just your rank. But everybody, you know, the, the, the students, you just say, hey, professor, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but the main issue was that I was showing this video in class. Um, and they kind of were saying, you know, uh, did you get permission to show it? Is this something appropriate? And I was like, and my response was, well, these are college students. Black Lives Matter, police brutality, are in the curriculum that this college chose for my class or approved rather, I should say that the professors chose the curriculum, but it's approved by the college. And so, so yeah, I think it is appropriate and what have you. And so they basically left it as just be careful what you teach. Um, and then doing my rounds with the, you know, the promotion of the book, uh, I got to know the national uh, this national spokeswoman for the National Police Association. And in August, um, they had a booth at CPAC in Dallas. CPAC, of course, is a conservative political action conference. And they had a booth there and they invited me to sit with them at the booth um, and and sell my book and just kind of help them promote the National Police Association, and which is, you know, nonprofit, just kind of help out, uh, you know, police in various uh types of charitable ways and promoting good policing and, and, and things like that. And I jumped at the opportunity. I thought it'd be a great experience. I'd, I'd never been to CPAC, never thought I would go. I just, you know, wanted to go and, and, and visit. And in the course of those two or three days that I was there, I took a couple of pictures of people. Um, one that I was very proud of, I met uh, Steve Williford, who those that follow mass shootings may remember he was the Sutherland Springs man who stopped the shooting at, at the church uh, in Sutherland Springs where 26 uh, people were murdered. And I put him up on my Facebook, right? Uh, and one of my colleagues is a friend of mine on Facebook and she saw it. Uh, and when I went to work a few days later, 
another employee said, hey, be careful around this person because this is what she texted me about you. And she showed it to me. And she was basically saying that I needed to be pushed out of the college because my views threaten democracy, that CPAC is a racist organization that promotes, you know, racial purity and, and, and anti-democratic views. Um, and, and the irony, of course, here, you know, one of the things that text message, uh, and I was able to take pictures of these, uh, you know, mentioned that Victor Orban spoke at CPAC and he did. And the, the, the irony is, I didn't know who this person was. I mean, I know now he's the president or prime minister or something from Hungary, but I, 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 I had no idea, or Turkey, Hungary, what, you know, I had no idea who he was, but because I, I attended as a, as, an, as a guest, I kind of got associated with him in that particular uh, context. So I, I took those pictures and I kind of put them in my back pocket just in case something ever came up. And then a few months pass. I'm getting, again, during this time, I'm getting excellent evaluations of my teaching, you know, uh, all, all that kind of good stuff from, from my mentor and from my department chair. And then in February, I get called in for a meeting um, with HR the, and a vice president. Uh, and they tell me right away, there's been a complaint about you from a student. We don't know what the complaint is, but you're going to be put on paid administrative leave. And uh, I... I was like, okay, well, you know, can you tell me more? I was like, no, it should, the, the investigation should take about two weeks. Uh, you're going to get paid. You will, you'll need to turn in your badge and your keys. And I was like, okay, um, when am I going to find out what the complaint is? I said, probably by the end of the week or on Monday. And I said, okay. Um, and I was told, I was like, okay, well, I need to go get some stuff from my office and, and I'll bring the, I'll bring the badge down to you because I didn't have the, my, my ID badge on me at the time. And they said, okay, well, I, I forget the sergeant's name, but the, the sergeant in the police department there for St. Phillips College escorted me. And we're walking out of the room and I, I stop and I turn to him and I say, excuse me, sir, is this really necessary? I said, I, you know, I said, I'm a former police officer. I'm not going to cause any problems. I'm just going to run up to my office, grab my bag and, and leave. And he said, well, I'll follow you at a distance. And I said, okay, that's, that's cool with me. Um, you know, is, and so I, I go upstairs to my office and it's locked. And so I unlock it, I get in there and I'm, I'm gathering my things real quick. And then all of a sudden the door opens and it's the police officer who had unlocked with the master key to unlock my door. And I was kind of shocked because he said, you know, he's going to follow at a distance. And then he follows me out very close by. And I kind of, you know, under my breath was like so much for following at a distance because my, it, it was embarrassing, you know, because everybody in my department's kind of looking around like, why, why are they escorting rabbits out, you know, with the police officer? So I leave and I find out the complaint is from a student, uh, in, in one of my small classes, it was for political science majors. And she, she was claiming that I had made uh, very discriminatory and, and disparaging marks against the LGBTQ community, particular transgender people. Uh, and then a, a subsequent um, conversation that I'd actually called or, or said that um, this is why we need police brutality. And if you remember from our conversation, the last thing I would go out and say is, yeah, we need more police brutality. Right. Um, and so this was again the February 9th is when it started. So very early in February, uh, March 27th, I still had been on paid leave. So the two weeks turned into over a month. 
Uh, I had not been questioned yet by investigators. And I was notified that my contract would not be renewed and that I would stay on paid leave through the rest of the semester. Now, mind you, I had a an extra class that was going to start at the eight-week mark that I didn't get paid for because I didn't start it. So that was about $3,400 right off the bat that I was losing. I had five classes scheduled for the summer. That's another over 20,000. So right off the bat, I'm like, that's $24,000 I've lost just like that. And they finally did uh, interview me. um, And I explained to them that none of this was true. Uh, I, I had simply given the the alternative viewpoint to gender affirming care, right? Because like, like we mentioned, you know, I, I, I may be conservative, but I don't want my students to only hear the conservative viewpoint. I want to hear both. And so we talked about in, in the context of, of how culture is changing with the transgender movement. Cause you just, you remember that 10 years ago, nobody talked like this, you know, with the pronouns and things. It was just, it was very new. Uh, you know, I, it really started after Obergefell versus Hodges when when the same-sex marriage case became nationalized, uh, where, where all states had to recognize same-sex marriage. This is when it really kind of hit fast forward on, on the trans movement. And I was just saying that, you know, there's people who question whether or not biological males who have transitioned should compete in sports against biological women. I was like, there are people who have gone through the surgery and have now regretted it. And I was just pointing those things out. And I even mentioned, I'm not making a moral judgment. I'm just saying, and, and, um, but it, it didn't matter. Um, since the non-renewal, um, I have, uh, discovered, I have three affidavits from students in the class, one, a conservative, one, a libertarian black male, by the way. Um, and I, and that was, you know, because of the, the whole uh, police brutality, uh, accusation, and then one of them, a liberal student, and all three of them say that she's lying and that I, I was very respectful in class and, and just gave both sides of the issue. So I have that signed, notarized proof. One of these three individuals was interviewed by investigators at the college. So they knew back in February that the claims were false, but they still went ahead and got rid of me. Um, I do have a counsel. Um, the Academic Freedom Alliance, uh, an organization of, of professors and other individuals in higher ed from all different, uh, you know, uh, political ideological ideological backgrounds, uh, are financing this lawyer. It's uh, Michael Allen of the Allen Harris Law Firm um, in New England, and we we've been trying to do mediation. Um, that has not been very successful. Um, so we are. Uh, preparing a a lawsuit for violation of, of protected speech and civil rights. Um, can't really speak much more on that because you know legal, uh, uh, you know, uh, restrictions. But you'll you'll actually uh, I think get a kick out of this next part. Um, so <laughs> we had appealed the decision, and then once they were like, okay, they're, they're they might be filing a lawsuit. Their attorney said, okay, we're going to put the appeal on hold, and we're going to try to settle this outside of court. Um, and this was in in late April, early May that we started to try to do this mediation. And they kind of jerked me around left and right. But one of the things they made very clear to my attorney was reinstatement was not going to be an option. So at that point, I decided, okay, well, if, if reinstatement is not an option, I might as well go clean out my office, you know? And so 
uh, a, a nice lady from HR down at the district office, um, because for those of you not familiar with San Antonio, Alamo Colleges is five community colleges and they're run by the same district office. And I was going to meet at my office in St. Phillips College at 1130 on a, on a Wednesday, two, two weeks ago, yesterday, two weeks ago, yesterday. And I was going to meet with a lady from HR and I was going to pack up my things and, and go. On my way down there, there was a concern, um, uh, some kind of miscommunication about the process. And she's saying, you know, they're going to have to pack up your stuff and take it to the district office. And I said, you know, I don't really want them to do that. I don't know who's going to be packing my things. It's my belongings. I'd like to do it myself. I don't give consent. You know, I'm already on my way and what have you. I had business in the area beforehand. So I get down to uh, the parking lot. And I text the HR lady and I say, hey, I'm here. Is there any way I can get my stuff? I just want to move on with my life and get my things. And I live 30 miles from the college. So I didn't want to have to drive another 60 miles round trip when I'm already there. So she's like, well, let me get a hold of the VP and just, just hang tight. We'll try to get this situated. And so I'm sitting there talking to a friend of mine who's a faculty member. And then the HR lady calls me back and says, hey, I'm still trying to get hold of the VP. Just hang tight. See if there's a police officer or somebody that might be able to let you in the room. And I was like, okay, well, look, I'll, I'll, I'll wait around for a few minutes. And then I will, uh, you know, I'm thinking of, if I don't hear from you, I'll leave. So I go upstairs with my friend who's a faculty member. And there's four police officers waiting for me. And three of them surround me. One of them out in the hallway. And... They're, they're basically saying you have no right to be here. You need to, be, you need to leave campus. And I try to explain them again. One of them was a sergeant again. And I reminded him, you know, I'm an ex cop. This is during police week at breath though. I'm actually wearing a police hat, uh, at the time. It's a nine 11 hat from NYPD for the 23 officers killed. And I tell him, I was like, look, you have no legal authority to remove me from a public space and a public building, especially when I'm here at the, uh, invitation of HR and a colleague or now, you know, a former colleague. And we kind of go back and forth and they're saying, no, sir. And I was like, you you have no right to my property. I'm here to get my stuff. I'm waiting on a call from HR. And it was just this back and forth. And eventually they, they, uh, one of the vice presidents did arrive and say, you're not getting your things and you're going to have to go down. So they, they forced me back off campus and I had to go pick them up, you know, down the road of miles yeah. and, and, and whatever. And they had, they watched me the whole time. And, and just like I expected, they didn't pack up everything. So I had to get them to mail me some more stuff later and, you know, whatever. It just seemed like overkill. And, and my, my lawyer actually commented, I was like, well, at least now you know why some people think cops are dicks. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I get it. They're just doing their job, but it was kind of like, you know, wait, wait, wait a minute. I, I want to interject right there as I'm listening to you. Right. Uh, you're a you're a former police officer, and and by the way, actually, you know what? I want to wait for t- to end this story before I go further. So finish telling me uh, the conclusion. So let let's go and then I'll. Ask. Well, so I went and I I met with the lady at HR down at, at very nice lady, and she was apologetic for all the confusion. I said, "What was the reasoning for the police to show up? Like I'm some kind of, you know." threat or something. And, um, she's like, I don't know. It was miscommunication or whatever. And so she was very, very nice, very helpful and got my stuff and I left. And, uh, you know, now we're, we, we thought we were, we had a mediation date that didn't work out. Um, and, uh, you know, some other things happened back and forth between the attorney and my attorney that 
I don't want to get into, but it got to the point now where we're, we're kind of putting a hold on the mediation thing and, and, you know, probably are going to be looking at filing an, a, an official complaint soon. Um, you know, but like I said, because of that, all the, the, the rules about legality, I can't really discuss more details about that, uh, just yet. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm at now. I, I don't know, you know, what's going to happen with my future, my career. I don't know if I have to, you know, what my prospects would be if I'm going to have to uproot my entire family and move somewhere to find a new job. Uh, cause as you all know, there's not, there's not a lot. I mean, getting into higher ed is not the easiest thing in the world. There's just not a lot of jobs out there. And, you know, Alamo colleges makes up five of, I think, 17 colleges and driving distance from where I am. Um, and then you look at a place like university of Texas, that's one of the top schools in the country. It's, very difficult to break in, uh, especially for someone like me who I got into higher ed um, in my late thirties. So I didn't, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of behind the the curve. You know, I don't have like a, a long history at my age of articles I've written and things. This is my, my second career or third career, really, if you <clears throat> consider I taught um, at the high school level. But you're also so, an author. You're an also an author. Man. The, but, the book, but, that, <laughs> the book that started all is your article that got <laughs> my article got you. I mean, my article got you a notoriety, brother. But let let let, let yeah, me, it, it got me infamous at college. So thank you. That <laughs> yeah. But let, but let, let but, me just say, okay, okay. So that that's that's I, basically I, the story. Yeah, this this is important. First of all, I want to ask you, and I'm gonna be straight up with the answer. Is there some kind of a thing with regards to demeanor or whatever that I'm missing here where uh, you always come across to me very circumspect, nice, good attitude, etc. Is there anything different how you came across in class when you were discussing transgender and all these issues, which we probably disagree on? Were you at least doing it from a from a from a respectful form? Or did you did you do it like some of the what I will call the wackos on the right? Because it is legitimate to have to say uh, in the transgender issue, I just don't understand guys who become women and are going to play sports and then be educated about it. That's that's that is something that we can discuss. But we have to open the door to have discussion. Were you somehow? Well, actually, the, the interesting thing is. There were two occasions where the student said I made disparaging remarks. Both occasions were me answering a student question, a different student. So the first question, uh, you know, had to deal with a student. We, we were talking about uh, the different responses to, to COVID and how red states reacted differently than blue states about, you know, reopening and going back to school and things like that. Right. And I mentioned a study and, and I, I can find it. I have to go find it again, but I, I've read it. It's, it's a study that shows that there's a correlation between being conservative and being uh, less risk averse. Mm -hmm. And, and so they're, you know, they're making the argument that when you look at, at jobs that have a high risk of injury or death, you know, like loggers, oil workers, military, police, fire, or whatever, that, that there's a, a disproportionate number of conservative minded or libertarian minded people in those right. professions. And so I was just making maybe there's something to be said that, it, that the red states being more conservative are more willing to risk the, the you know, COVID protocols. Right. 
And one student said, yeah, liberals tend to be more shy. And I was like, no, not really. As I, we, so we talked about, you know, how, uh, whether it be the civil rights movement, whether it be the uh, gay pride movement, you know, this is the the day one of gay pride month. Um, I just kind of use that as an example that, that these people, I don't, I would not consider them shy. They're very open about who they are and and what they do. And the Mm -hmm. student kind of brought up, um, the LGBTQ movement. And I just was making the comment that they're, they're very expressive about who they are. I said, you can look at a gay pride parade and, and see, um, that they are not ashamed of, of who I'm they are. Sorry. And what they, I'm sorry. What they they shouldn't be. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's kind of like, you know, where, where the conversation started. Another student said, well, it was a little bit older and he, he made the comment. I don't understand all this language with the pronouns and stuff, right? He was in his mid twenties. And I said, and I tried to explain to him, kind of the progression and culture of how this has changed in the past eight to 10 years. And when we got to talking about sports, I didn't even give my opinions. I was just telling people, there's a swimmer named Riley Gaines who tied Leah Thomas, the Penn State swimmer who ended up becoming national champion. And Riley says that they took the trophy from her to Leah for the photo op. Um, you know, and then now she's going around fighting back and whatever. And I said, and I mentioned... I just mentioned some groups and this particular student said, you are making a moral judgment. You're, you're, and I was like, no, I'm, this is my opinion. In fact, the, the irony of all this, Egberto, is that what I was telling the class were things that I had learned from a colleague of mine who is a member of the community and was letting me read books um, from the perspective of TERFs, right? Transgender radical feminists. Uh, and, and I, it was like an opening, eye-opening experience uh, learning about the, the, you can go, I was told to go Google LGB, drop the T, right? And you've got on Twitter, the Gays Against Groomers Twitter page, and you've got Fist and Wolf, which are lesbian feminist movements that are against the transgender kind of part of LGBT. And I was basically just trying to educate them that there are these other views out there. And they weren't even necessarily my views, right? I was just basically repeating things that I'd been reading with my colleague. Um, so no, it definitely was not something that I was like, oh, LGBT bad or anything like that. I mean, I have two uh, former students of mine from high school that I love dearly that are female to male transitioners, you know, and I never tr- treated them any differently. And and yeah, and I have, like I said, I have three affidavits from students backing up what I just told you that I was never demeaning to anybody and very respectful right. and all that. I, I, I get that. And, and again, the, the thing about it is I don't want anybody who talks to me catering, uh, catering, whatever they're saying, because they know that I'm this progressive guy. I don't believe in cancel culture. I don't believe in any of that. I believe in, I, I can stand up on when I say I am talking about, I think the liberal movement, the progressive movement can stand up on what they believe in. And you as a conservative have to stand up on what you believe in. And then we can sit down and talk and argue points, et cetera. The reason I really wanted you on as well is when you when you sent me that email and said you think you've been, you know, that, you know, you have been unjustly uh, relieved for something that you didn't do. I think just I am not in agreement with that. If you make if you have a conservative idea that you put out to your students, as long as you're not judging your student and grading them based on the things that you're saying, there's absolutely no reason for them to to get rid of you for your job. Just like there is no reason for I'm going to I'm going to tease you here, your buddy DeSantis to do what he is doing in Florida as far as uh, 
penalizing teachers as they are in Florida for teaching black issues, gay issues, and all these other things. I believe in the free expression of ideas. And I hope that in this happening to you as well, you see the merit in all of us being able to be free to express these things. Yeah, I think, I think especially at the collegiate level, you know, you should be challenged when you go to college. Yes. Um, and, and you should, I mean, I was, I remember as a freshman sitting in, in class in the, in the, you know, 1996 and having my small little world that, that growing up in Uvalde and, and realizing that there's a whole bunch of different perspectives out there from what I experienced. And that, that's how you grow and how you get better. But, and I do try the best I can to present the progressive, the conservative and the moderate. Uh, in discussions. And one of the things I tell my students at the beginning of every class is I will argue against you sometimes, even if I agree with you, just to get you to think if, if other students are not jumping in, because I want the students to debate and I can facilitate, but sometimes, you know, especially because most of the classes I teach are a lot of freshmen and they're big classes like at Texas state. Sometimes kids, you know, they're, they're still a little nervous about speaking out in a group of a hundred and some people and, and whatever. So sometimes I have to jump in. And I just tell them, I was like, look, most students your age lean left anyway. So I am going to just naturally probably argue the conservative side more often. But I have, you know, one of my very conservative vocal students, uh, one that actually gave the affidavit to me, I've, I've, you know, spanked him down a couple of times in class for arguments uh, because I wanted him to think about from a different perspective. And that's why I read stuff by you and and I read the salon, you know, salon and box and, you know, different things, because I don't want to just, I want to be able to, to, to offer my students as much context and nuance as possible. Um, that's why I disagree with some of my conservative friends that are like, you know, CRT shouldn't be taught in college. It's a, you know, and I was like, well, why not? It's, it's a legitimate critical theory is a legitimate thing. And if, if you're going to say, I don't want my kids learning about the 1619 project or, or, you know, whatever, then how can you go around and, you know, because that's indoctrination, then how can you say that, you know, if I get up there and all I did was teach the conservative view, how is that not indoctrination? Exactly. Right? You've got to be able to, to, to give as much sides and, and, and things like that. And so I'm, I'm very much um, in agreement with you there. Well, let me tell you this. And like I said, I, I want to before before we close out, um, I, I, there's another thing that you said that um, really touched me. And that is how you felt when you were going to pick up your things and how the other you're a cop or you're a former cop. And how you felt with that guy behind you, how you felt with four cops surrounding you. How you felt with not uh, looking through these other cops, not seeing through your eyes, these other cops not even giving you the time of day to express yourself. Do you see in a lot of ways how and, and, and you know, how those who are or are, 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 um, in the presence of cops, how they actually feel and why they act the way they do many times? And you're a white guy and you have to admit that to, you're a white guy. Yeah. And, and, and I, I find it. Interestingly enough, three of the four cops were minorities. <laughs> oh, well, maybe they, they, they were slapping. No, I'm kidding. Actually, I, let me let me just I, tell you something about the no, cops. Um, me, wait, wait, hold on. Hold on, hold on. I want to say something. First. I want to say something first. 
in as much as these were minority cops, I don't distinguish white cops from black cops because it's an institution as you've been there and you, you pretty much know that now when it comes to if a cop makes a mistake, you know, who's going to go down first. And if you look at the stats, you know, who will go down first, but you felt that from, you felt that. And I'm saying, think about those other people who lived that. And again, you were a cop. So, well, and because I was a cop, I, I, I was able to, I wasn't angry at them. I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't lose my cool because I knew, I knew how far I could probably push the issue before right. bad things happen. <laughs> yes, um, yes. And, and again, I don't blame only two of the four actually spoke to me. The other two were kind of in the, you know, just there, I guess. Um, and my, my only problem is I get, they were just doing their job that the vice president was saying, he's not to be here, but I could definitely see the wheels turning. When I told the Sergeant, show me the legal power you have to remove me. And HR invited me down here. Cause then he got on the phone and was like, okay, wait a minute. And that was good because sometimes, you know, sometimes when you see these viral videos when they challenge police, sometimes right. the cops get all pissed off and they didn't, they, they were very professional. Um, but I, I kind of knew from my experience how far I could push the envelope and I wasn't being disrespectful. I was banging a little bit, right. you know, firm, but you know, I wasn't, I was being professional because, because you'll see, I saw a video, same guy did it um, in two different public buildings recently. He went in, and was filming people in a, in a government building and the late, you know, the people right. like, no, you can't film in here, whatever. And the cop showed up and the first cop was like, give me that camera. You can't be in here, whatever. And he was saying, no, I can't. He was signing the law. He did it in another building and the cop knew the law and told, told the employee, sorry, it's a public play. I can't stop him from filming. He's not breaking the law. There's nothing I can do, you know? And, and I think that that's kind of a learning point that, you know, for a lot of cops in that situation is, you know, be sure that you have the authority to do what you're doing and, and don't yeah. let your personal feelings of somebody, you know, cloud your judgment. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I definitely was aware of that. That's why I kind of felt like, Hey, I've kind of been treating like a criminal when I wasn't doing anything wrong, you know? Yeah, for right. sure. So, I mean, and, and I think, I think that's, a, and, and look, I, I hope, uh, you know, first of all, I'm glad there, there are others that are going to see this quite a few that are going to see this video and listen to the podcast. And, and listen to your experience. But I also hope that uh, that particular part of this experience that you had, I hope you can write about it. I'm going to have this out there as well, because I think it's not only a learning experience for the people who the police are going to be trying to engage, but also for police officers coming from another police officer and how you felt when you were surrounded by them, you know. But anyway, give me a closer uh, because we kind of went a little bit over, but I always like talking to you. So give me a quick closer. Well, I just w would say for those of you listening out there that if we want our education system to be a, a top-notch education system, if we want the country to be able to uh, move forward and get along and, 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 and actually have progress, we need to be able to sit down and have these discussions honestly and openly and not silence views uh, I believe this country is a marketplace of ideas. And if you're not going to allow certain ideas into the marketplace, um, you know, that's censorship. The, the way to defeat bad ideas is with better ideas. And I think that's what we should move forward to at all levels of, of, of education, but especially in, in higher ed. Dr. Will Moravitz, 
Thank you so kindly for spending some time here at Politics Done Right. And uh, I wish you well. And uh, like I said, I wish you well. They need to give you your job back. Well, I appreciate you having me on to, to tell my story, Egberto. I really do. We, anyway, folks, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed that. Okay, I see two calls on, but only one of them with a name on. So let's go ahead and take Kyle, line number two. Come on in, Kyle. How are you doing? I am Kyle, you're on. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Egberto. Uh, should I be talking to President Kyle? Yes, sir. This is him. <laughs> All right. How are you doing, President Kyle? Is there any is there one thing you want to tell me before we go to the next? Well, yes, sir. I emailed you and I would love to be more involved with the radio station and all I can do with the business. Well, good. I, you know what? We always like to have people who are willing to engage. And let me tell you how you can start engaging with the station. I'm pretty sure that you have people that you know around the city of Houston and around the Houston metropolitan area. Please be one of our ambassadors and let people know that there is a program. There's a station out here that promotes everybody, treats everybody equally and respects everybody. And they should be a part of the team. They should listen to us. They should call us. They should do all of that. Is that okay with you, Kyle? I would do that, Mr. Egberto. I have been doing that, but I shall remain doing it. I, I appreciate that, sir. And you keep on doing what you do. And I thank you so kindly for being a regular listener of our show. All right? Thank, thank you so much, Kyle. All right. Anyhow, folks, uh, I hope you enjoyed that interview that I did with, uh, with Dr. William uh, Moravitz because um, it is something that, uh, you know, like I said, first of all, I felt a little bit guilty at first because when I wrote the article about when I interviewed him about his book, uh, it got picked up. And I'm surprised that somebody at the university picked it up. And when they picked it up, they kind of didn't like some of the things that he said. I, I, you know, I, again, I didn't think he said anything wrong. The guy is a conservative, etc. And, uh, you know, every we, we are all entitled to our beliefs as long as we respect everybody else. And, uh, you know, f f everything that I know of him did just that but anyhow uh we we continue here with the show if you have any comments about the uh, the interview please give us a call 713-526-5738 again that number is 713-526-5738 hit extension number two to get uh to get on air and and talk with whatever you want to say for let's go ahead and bring my good old brother and former engineer in the studio the one and only tori how are you doing this morning my brother tori you're on tori hung up on us here oh okay. he's gonna have to call us back okay great well we'll yeah, wait we're working on it right now yeah we'll wait to, we'll wait to hear from tori uh a little bit uh in a little bit but anyhow so um yeah the the, the guy that i just interviewed i i thought he he was a he was a good guy. Okay, come on in, Tori. And Tori is back. Hello. Hello, Tori. Good morning, Tori. Hey, let me take you off speakerphone here. So, All right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Finally got up early enough to listen to your show. Fantastic. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, 
I don't remember an old band from the 1980s from California, old punk rock band called the Dead Kennedy. But they had a song called California Uber Out. And uh, one of the lyrics is, uh, becomes the, the suede denim leather secret police. They've come for you and your uncool knees. And so it's all about the PC culture, you know, starting in California, mainly Northern California, centered in Berkeley, you know, back, way back in the 80s. And I'm old enough to remember when Austin was not so PC. I mean, it was very civil libertarian. And right. it was like the civil libertarian center of, of Texas. You know, you could go swimming naked in Lake Travis and, you know, no problem. Hippie and, Hollow. Uh, remember Hippie uh, Hollow? Oh, yeah, I've been there a hundred times. And so <laughs> I, I remember when Hickey Hollow was on the other side of Lake Travis. And yes. there was no escape. And, you know, it's just now it's called, it used to be called Paleface Park. And uh, I don't know, it might still be. But that was where Hickey Hollow originally was. But anyway, uh, Austin has transformed in a lot of different ways. You know, we, we know about transportation, but it's also become a lot more like Berkeley, you know, uh, humorless, PC crews. And, you know, people that have uh, academic credentials, you know, in one thing, and they think that gives them license to make all these judgments in something else. You know, like uh, one adjunct professor at a community college I was hanging out with once, I was noticing the African art on her wall, and I was like, wow, that's really beautiful stuff. And it was antique, you know, from the And she got so ashamed. Oh, well, my, you know, I'm so sorry. My dad collected that. And, you know, it's uh, now it's cultural appropriation. And it's just like, I wanted to say, freaking idiot. You know, no, it's not. It's African art. And it's probably made for the consumer, you know, tourist market or the local market. But it's made to sell. So if somebody bought it, they put it on a wall. And it's art. It's beautiful. And you don't need to be ashamed of that. It's, you know, and anyway, so people are making, you know, she wasn't an anthropologist. What does she know about cultural appropriation, right? And, uh, I mean, it's just like, that's Austin now. You know, I mean, not everywhere, but, I mean, in certain circles. And, and there's a lot of academic circles in Austin. And, you know, it's just like part of the dialectic process, just like you're thinking about the debt ceiling this morning. You know, it goes back and forth. It's this way, then it's that way, then it's this way, and it's like, you know, it's a it's a democratic process, and eventually we're going to get to something stable, but right now we're in this rapid evolutionary phase of this dialectic, you know, this national dialectic on the things that your um, professor was talking about, and, you know, cancel culture, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of prudes out there, humorless DC prudes, and, you know, me, I'm a libertarian, Socialist, you know, left-wing libertarian, civil libertarian, you know, NE, gold, NE, old-school anarchist. And so, you know, I'm not conservative by any means, by any stretch. But, uh, you know... Uh, you want to entertain every point of view, Tori, and that is, that is, that is who we are. I mean, and that's, that's what I try to promote. And that's why this professor felt comfortable to contact me and say, Hey, I want to tell a story. And he didn't go to a conservative station to tell the story. He came to a, <laughs> a very progressive dude. And that is, and again, all of that comes from the, from a lot of what you talk about, not being a prude. And being able to uh, to have a conversation, whether people agree with you or not. 
Yeah, if this uh, if they can cancel conservatives, they can cancel anybody. You know, first exactly. That and the other side of it is that conservatives need to know that they are coalitioning with fascists when they go to think about. Now, just to give the devil's due here again, the dialectic process two sides. You know, CPAC is not all fascist, but there's fascists, and conservatives need to know who they're working with. You know, the conservatives, you know. Back in the day of Barry Goldwater in the 1950s, post-World War II, you know, original conservative movement, you know, these were World War II veterans. A lot of them uh, might have been, you know, conservative and reactionary to the point of being reactionary, and, you know, most likely were. But, uh, you know, these are the guys that killed Hitler, you know, uh, and so, you know, Conservatives go up to a certain point, but they don't, they're not supposed to cross that line into working with Nazis and fascists, you know? I mean, they were the first ones that went over to kill fascists, you know? Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, again, I, 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 I think it's important... What it, the entire conversation, it's important for us to have that open conversation. Now, it is important also for us to call out... If you notice, uh, our conversation with the, the police, the former police officer and professor was pretty frank. Uh, I used what he said uh, as sort of a, uh, for him to entertain how, you know, something as simple as how folks who are in the presence of police officers feel threatened. He got to feel, after being a cop, he got to feel what it was like. And I, I brought that out because conservatives in general I don't see that picture until it happens to them, right? And if you notice, he was very cognizant of the entire issue. He was ready to say, yep, I see it. Yep, I see it. So just like you talk about uh, being able to realize that conservatives need to realize that right now they're in alliance with fascists and they need to get over it if, they're, if their conservatism is going to be taken seriously. But anyhow, Tori, anything else you want to add before I move on to the next subject? Yo, you mentioned something about the uh, the uh, the dump truck drivers. No, not dump truck. It was concrete drivers. Right. The Supreme Court. And, right. That's uh, what I'm about to talk about. Stopping work is one thing, and it's your it's workers' rights to withhold their labor. But I think the reason why they've got a huge majority on the Supreme Court in this decision because that went from withholding labor to coercion because it became a threat to destroy equipment and material. You're talking about the concrete left in the trucks, right? Yeah. I mean, they should have said they were going to walk out and not show up and not drive before they loaded those trucks. Because, you know, at the very least, there's an environment of, you got how many trucks full of concrete, and they got to dump it somewhere. I mean, that's just an environmental hazard if you don't have a driveway to pull But that wasn't the case, though. That wasn't, that wasn't, I mean, again, on the outside, well, I tell you what. Uh, stay on the line and let me read this for you because, uh, and that is where we have to prevent the the danger of misinformation in, in what uh, John, uh, the, the new Supreme Court, it was an eight to one decision. And Jul- Justice Jackson, she is the one who came out and said, no, this isn't how it should be done. Let me read it real quickly. The U.S. Supreme Court 
on Thursday ruled 8-1 to one in favor of concrete company against its striking workers in a decision progressive advocates called de facto union busting. The lone, star vo- the lone dissenting voice was Liberal Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson, who argued that her colleagues overstepped their authority in siding with the company instead of deferring to the National Labor Relations Board. So I don't take any exception with what you're saying in that these guys decided to maybe, maybe we don't know the, all the facts of the case, maybe destroy the property of the, the concrete company. What she is saying is, wait a minute, these disputes are normally, our precedent says these disputes are normally handled by the NR, NLRB, not the, just, not, the, um, not the Supreme Court. In other words, they're saying, it's overstep its boundaries. The NLRB should dis- to decide the case, and then after that, you can you, you can come ahead and and talk to the courts. In fact, if I recall correctly, the, the Supreme Court, the state Supreme Court in I think Washington, actually came out to that same conclusion as well. Well, I mean, I'm just speaking to the fact that, you know, these trucks were loaded with concrete, ready to go. And then the driver said, no, we're not going to do it. And uh, so, you know, either the concrete company has to give in to their demands or they have to dump the concrete and clean out the trucks. Because, right. You know, left in the trucks, it's going to ruin the trucks. And yes. if they dump it, it's going to ruin the material. And, uh, you, you know, Corey, Tori, I, I want to disagree with you with something here. And then let, let, let's let's talk about it. And, folks, I, I can still get one other call, 713-526-5738. Look, um, how comes when we are talking about uh, issues that harm, the only harm that we generally uh, have have some sort of a sympathy for is on the corporate side? Uh, is aren't aren't the aren't these companies harming the the workers? Isn't that true? Well, you left one off. One is harm to the environment. You know, I wait. agree as well. I agree. I agree. But what I'm saying, I'm talking about the employee. Aren't the employee? You know, in in other words, we always give precedence. It seems to me that's that's my only concern. Look, it, it, for me, right here is not. Absolute I'm right. And absolute. I, mean, I was in the I was in the wobblies, you know. I mean, like I'm, you know, believe in radical labor organizing, and I'm not against destroying equipment, you know, for uh, like forest companies, for instance, or you know, pipeline companies. I think fine. If somebody wants to damage that stuff, that's fine. But you know, this isn't that kind of action. You know, this is a you know a simple labor action, and there's rules of the game. You know, there's no punching under the belt, and you know, withholding labor is legitimate, 100 percent of the time. Uh, but you know, coercion, whether it's from labor or management or police or government, coercion is what is bad. You know, we. Uh, Okay, we're running out of time, Tori, but uh, we're running out of time. But I want I want you to consider this and give us give me a call back when you wake up in the morning again to talk to me. All right. Check this out. Um, when you, you also agree that you can put uh, you, you can stop the pipeline and you can stop the trees, etc. That also is coercion. Sometimes coercion is what's used in activist movements to get things done. Right. Because when, when, when you prevent somebody from cutting a tree and, and you're putting spikes in a tree, that is, in fact, coercion as well. But 
brother, give me a closer because I need to close out the show. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, good luck to the, uh, to the workers. Uh, they need to learn from this, uh, because, you know, you, you can't threaten, you know, if you're in an employee at a job, you can't use a bargaining tool in your job, in your employment, if you're going to destroy the equipment, you know, that's you know, for an outside group, you know, that doesn't want to, you know, they don't want the driveways and they can go destroy. Now you, you entered a new part when you said that's for an outside group, but anyway, I got to go, Tori. Look, thank you so yeah, kindly for coming this on, coming on this morning with me, my brother. You take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right. Anyway, folks, we uh, I hope you enjoyed what we spoke about today, uh, having Dr. Uh, William Morovitz on. Also, uh, with regards to the Supreme Court, while we didn't get to the full story of the Supreme Court, you can uh, finish taking a look at that story at politicsonright.com slash politicsonright.com slash newsletter, politicsonright.com slash newsletter. I got to get off of air and go do my spinning so that we can get some exercise so I can come healthy with you in the mornings again. Folks, if you want to uh, talk to me about any of these issues by email, you can contact me at kpft at politicsdoneright.com. kpft at politicsdoneright.com. I enjoyed uh, listening to my callers. I enjoyed speaking to Dr. Morovitz. Uh, Howard and Jack in the control room, thank you so kindly for the hard work that you do every morning to ensure that we can give our audience a program. Thank you. Howard. Okay. Anyhow, folks, uh, <laughs> anyhow, folks, uh, we, we got to get out of here. My name is Egberto Willis. This is politics done right. And you guys know how I end this baby. I am what out. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.